um, teaching is called connected is because that was the first word I saw in my notes. It does, you could put any word there and it would still make sense. So don't put too much stock in the word connected. Uh, just didn't want to spend time trying to come up with a title. So that's why it's called connected. That's a great start to a sermon, huh? <laughs> so <laughs> here's the thing, guys. I want to talk about some of the things we can do to uh, really be at the cutting edge with God. And these are really simple things. Uh, when it comes to cutting edge with God, it's nothing techy, nothing expertish. It's very simple, basic stuff. And so I'll list five things, and then we'll start with the last one, and then see if we have time to work the first four. So first thing that you've got to be mindful of is that I will be connected to my life source. And that's where the title came from. I will be connected to my life source, my life source, me being God, I'll be connected to my life source. There is this whole idea of being really aware of and really letting God help you process the world every day through his filter, his heart, his mind, his habits, his attitude. And that's this whole idea of being connected to my life source. Uh, I won't explain it much because I want to do the fifth point first. But just like you would filter everything to... Uh, let's assume you fall in love tomorrow. You would filter your entire life through the person you've fallen in love with. You would change your schedule. You would change your uh, work habits. You would change your dressing. You would change how you spend your money. You would change the nature of your phone calls. You would change your cologne. You would change everything so that you could filter it through this person that you have fallen in love with. Everything changes around. And that person becomes your, literally the one who, uh, around whom your life revolves. And that's the whole idea of, I'll be connected to my life source. And the more you are able to do this unconsciously, the better off you are. The more you do it consciously, you know you're on the way, but you're not there yet. When it gets to a point where you're connected to God in a very unconscious or subconscious way, you know that, ah, shucks, something is clicking. Because you're not even aware of it. It's become very normal. Two. I will practice self-forgetfulness. I will practice self-forgetfulness. Self-forgetfulness. I will practice self-forgetfulness. I mean, if you read John chapter 13, you'll find that Jesus excelled in this. Uh, in the first, um, the first point is from John 13 to John 13, 3, I think, where it says Jesus, knowing where he came from and knowing where he was going and knowing that he had charge over everything. This is the whole idea of being connected. Then it doesn't matter whether you're fat, short, thin, smart, good looking, not good looking. It doesn't matter what you are. Once you know where you draw your life from, where you'll be going, like this guy was saying, like Prashant was saying, knowing that I'll either be with my father instantly and see him face to face, or I'll be with my father here. Either way, I'm not there or here. I'm always in his presence. Once you are connected to your life source, then things become much simpler. There is a confidence you have inside you that has nothing to do with your externals. But it is so hard to develop because the world demands that our confidence be connected to things external. Second one is I'll practice self-forgetfulness. Self-forgetfulness is when uh, you are not the center of your life. When you are not the center of your life, things don't revolve around you. We'll talk about that later. Jesus practiced that so brilliantly in John chapter 13, verse 12. He, he so seamlessly would move from being Lord and Messiah, the king of the universe, to a bond servant who's washing their feet with a towel around his waist. And then he'll get up and wear his robe again and continue being who he is. The seamless transfer from one thing to the other, from one person to the other, from one role to the other, without any thought for himself, self-forgetfulness. Very difficult, guys. But if you can get this, it's amazing. Third one. I will be a lifter of other people's head. I will be a lifter of other people's heads, of other people's, 
I know it's a clumsy sentence, but you'll get the hang of it. Head, because he is the lifter of my head. Within these few sentences, almost the entire gospel is encapsulated. I will be the lifter of their head, as in, it doesn't matter who I meet, I'll be, I'll lift their head up. I'll lift their head up, because most people aren't in that place. I mean, I think the only people who have the ability to lift their heads up is ones who have Christ in their lives, because Christ is the only one who lifts your head up. Nobody else can lift your head up. No amount of money, no amount of fame, nothing lifts your head up. We are a people who have necks that have been broken by sin. We have props that support our head, but the only one who really lifts our head up. What does lift our head up mean? What does it really mean? It means that, my God, I'm taken care of. I have someone whose countenance shines brightly on me. That's the whole idea of Numbers chapter 6 where it says, the Lord bless you and keep you. This is called lifting up your head. The Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. May he give you grace. May he give you peace. This is the lifting up of a drooping head. Nobody can do that. No dad, no mom, no pastor, no church can do that. But Christ alone can do that. And if we are the only ones who have our heads lifted up by Christ and his nail-scarred hands, and I'm not trying to make it dramatic, I'm just saying he has nail-scarred hands that you will feel as he lifts your head up. If we are the only ones that have that done to us, then our role on earth is to lift the heads of others up. Letting them know that there is a God whose face is shining down on them. His countenance is lifted up on them. That they are no longer enemies but can be made friends through the blood and through the cross. And then the last one is. I will expect. I will expect. And depend. On God. For the seven essentials of life. And what are those seven essentials? One, dignity. Two, security. Three, provision. Four, um, purpose. Five, uh, companionship six freedom and seven sorry yeah and there was one more authority sorry that's the one companionship and intimacy are together I actually missed out on authority last time I talked about this. These are the seven things that I will be dependent on God for. These I will not seek outside of God. These I shall not derive from any other source. Not my pastoring, not from Acts 29, not from the money I have, not from the business I run, not from the job I have, not from the spouse I hold dear, not from anything will I derive these seven essentials from. These essentials were promised to me in the Garden of Eden and God hasn't rescinded these things that he promised man in the Garden of Eden. I will expect it from you. I will not derive it, extract it, depend on anybody else for it, but you, O oh God. And if we get these things right, you'll find yourself on the cutting edge of everything God does. Christ lived like this. Because these are the very things that Jesus said the pagans chase after and unfortunately his children chase after too. And they chase after these things outside of him. And then the last one which we'll be talking about is I will I will live under order. I will live under order. I will live under order. That's the last one. I want to start there and then uh, if I do a good job of finishing it then we'll do the first four because at some point or the other I've talked about the first four but I haven't talked about order since 2012 
I felt that given where we are at at present, it really would do us good if we as a church just enjoyed God's order. It'll keep us safe. Because the more we deal with disorderly elements, the more it is important to live in order. The more we deal with chaos and disorder, the more it is, I hate using the word behoove, but I'm going to use it. It behooves us to operate under order. Any questions on these before we go on? Any questions before we go on? Oh, by the way, Derek is in charge when they're going to Sao Paulo, so pray for him that he has the smarts to discern and know how things need to be done. Any questions on these guys? Cool. Okay, so what does it mean to live on? Go ahead. Living under order. Um, to begin with, Colossians 1, 16 to 19. And so um, I'll start there and then there'll be a few more scriptures. So Colossians 1, 16 to 19 from the message puts it this way. Uh, and I'm um, paraphrasing what has already been paraphrased. So there is order in the kingdom of God, and Colossians 1, 16 to 19 puts it this way. For everything, and then it goes on to explain all the everything. For everything God started in him finds its purpose in him. So spacious is he, so roomy, that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Everything of God, this is from the message, everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Meaning that at the end of the day, God has a certain order that he has established on earth. And this order is an arrangement that has nothing to do with greater or lesser but has everything to do with function in the present. So even the Godhead, even in the Godhead, though Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are equal, there is an order where Jesus always says, I will submit everything to the Father. The Holy Spirit says, I will glorify Jesus. Even in the Godhead, there is order. And it is not because one is greater or one is lesser, because that is impossible in the Godhead, because God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are co-equal. Yet there is an arrangement of order, and the intent of that order is so that the function of the Godhead can be fulfilled, where God the Father sends Jesus Christ to the earth to die for man and rise up again, and Jesus Christ then sends the Holy Spirit from the Father to his body so that they may be empowered. So submission, uh, uh, let's put it this way, the, the one who covers, the one who covers first, and the one who covers all, one who covers all, is God. So anytime I submit to his order on earth, I'm really submitting to him. There is only one who covers first. I mean, he's the, f he's, the f he's the first who covers everything. And there is only one who covers all. And therefore, every time I submit to an arrangement that he has established on earth, I'm actually submitting to him first. And then to whoever he has put in place. So God's order does not touch upon the matter of who is greater. It's simply an arrangement in the way that God functions and God administers things. It's just that. 
Any questions? And this is not, we're not talking about church, guys. Please, please understand that this is not some kind of a power trip where I want you to submit to certain people or certain things, or if Derek is the head of the group going to Sao Paulo, now everybody has to polish his shoes. Uh, it's highly unlikely. I can't see Jeevan and Sheldon doing that anyways. But, pardon? Kerry's bag is different, yeah. But, but the point is this. This order thing does not just apply to church. Church is just a, a part of order. There is, there, we'll talk about how many different things there are. So there, are, there is order in man, woman, wife, citizen, son, employee, pastor, apostle, worshiper, church. There, there are different areas where there is order. And all these orders or arrangements God has prescribed in the Bible go to the end of every epistle that Paul writes. And what is he visiting? The order of the family, the order of employee-employer, the order of uh, master-slave, the order of household, the order of church. He keeps visiting this. Why? Because one of the fundamental things that he wanted to emphasize is, hey guys, if you do not manage your lives well in the order that I have established in these institutions that I have created, then you are no different from the watching world. So to become a community that is distinct, that is counter to the world, we must learn how to joyfully jump into the arrangement of God. And the reason there are no hallelujahs at present as I say this is, is because it goes against the grain of everything we grow up as in the pursuit of liberty, happiness and equality. Because all those words are so opposed to you being my boss. And yet if I can happily jump into God's order, my God, man, God placed order here on earth so that you could prosper and so that your dominion could grow. Just think of that. Huh? God placed order here on earth so that you could prosper and so that your dominion could grow. What do you mean by dominion? Not dominion, domain. Yeah, domain and dominion can grow. That's why he placed order. So, find out from the Bible the order of things for man and woman, for husband and wife, for older and younger, for citizen and country, for son and daughter, for employer and employee, for leader and those that are being led, for pastor and those that are in the church, for the church, for households, for worshippers, for the different functions in the church, like apostle, prophet, teacher, evangelist. How about those? Why, why do they use words like first apostles? Why do they use words like this and that? Why? Because there's an order. It's not one that is greater than the other. Unfortunately, because it has been abused, we are scared. The moment anyone says, I'm an apostle, what's your immediate thought? He's going to boss over me. And unfortunately, that has happened enough times where you're scared of it. But someone has to correct it. Why not us? Any thoughts? Any questions? Any arguments? Oh, let, let's not even go thoughts, questions, arguments. Any smiles? Oh, that's a relief. <laughs> Step beyond the hedge of your present boundaries. And this, this, so this was just a good news. Now the other side of the story. So, so step beyond the present, uh, step beyond the hedge of our present boundaries. And Ecclesiastes 10.8 says, you will get bitten by the serpent. Step beyond the hedge of your present boundaries and you will get bitten by the serpent. Jacob, why are you preaching something like this now? Because I don't want any of us to be bitten by the serpent as we go battling the serpent. Because that is going to happen, guys. That is where we are going. And it doesn't matter whether it's six people going and the rest of us staying here, or one person going and the rest of us staying here. This is a group endeavor, whether it's one who goes or six who goes or two who goes. And so... That is why I'm revisiting this. This was not my choice. I would rather avoid this topic. I like happy topics. 
So much sifting, much distress, much confusion, much affliction is the result of breaking the hedge. You want me to repeat that? Okay. <laughs> much sifting, much distress, much confusion, much affliction is the result of breaking the hedge. Uzzah and Ahio are examples where they decided that there was a protocol that God had given. They weren't the one who decided it. David was the one who really messed it up. There was a protocol that God had prescribed. They decided not to go with that. And in the process, they broke the hedge. And in the process of breaking the hedge, Uzzah and Ahio um, were not able to enjoy what the Ark of the Covenant was supposed to do for them. That's just one example. Our intent is, let's avoid breaking the hedge. Let's enjoy order, because God is the only one who keeps expanding our domain, and he causes us to prosper when we flourish in his arrangement. Yep. Uh, sifting. Sifting is what um, Jesus said to Peter. When um, uh, Peter said, um, I'll never deny you and stuff like that, Jesus said, Satan wants to sift you, as in cause a wind to come and uproot him from his so-called strong stance. And then Jesus says, Satan is trying to sift you, but I am praying that after you get sifted, that you actually stand. So sifting is when, um, yeah, you guys live in a different generation. When I was young, they used to have this thing, I don't know what it's called, but they would put grain in it and they would shake it like this. And when they shake it, oh, it's called a sifter? What do you know it's called a sifter? And so you sift it and the grain and the chaff separate. Yeah, that's called sifting, where it separates. Yeah. I went looking for a CD player for my mom in India. I couldn't find one. Yeah. So, much sifting, much distress, much confusion and affliction is a result of breaking the hedge. And uh, one of the things... Uh, you must figure out for yourself as we uh, approach this stage in the life of this church is know your ranking in the spirit realm. Know your ranking in the spirit realm. As in, know what you are presently able to do with absolute confidence in the person of Christ and stay within it and do not step into presumption. Know your ranking in the spirit realm. What am I confident of in Christ? I'm not here to do what someone else does. I'm not here to mouth off scriptures and pretend to be bold and brave. I'm not here to pull out people's teeth or do things to demons, this or that. No, I know what I am presently confident of doing in Christ. I intend to grow more in it tomorrow. But present, this is where I'm at. And therefore, it is within these boundaries that I operate. Because whenever you begin to imitate or copy someone or step into... Um, pet phrases that are being bandied around in churches, then you step into presumption and the enemy is just waiting for brute beasts who do not know what they are saying and begin to touch things that are spiritual that they have no idea of. Jude. I'm quoting from Jude. Well, not Jude. From Peter or Jude. One of them. Jude. Yeah. How do we do that? Guys, whenever you're invited, whenever there's a stretching of faith, uh, it's usually because you ha I pray God that we have come to a place where whenever there's a stretching of faith, you know it's because of an invitation from God. Faith is only stretched by God. Because he knows that Jacob thinks he is capable to stand behind this pew. But I know God says that he can take two more steps but he doesn't know it. So what God does is, he sometimes orchestrates circumstances or puts me in situations where I find myself without help. I'm alone at Peniel, and I now have to wrestle something that I didn't think I was ready for. And in the process, I find that, oh, shucks, I have the muscle for it. So I'm stretched, but God is the one who does the stretching. He even arranges adversaries that I can beat. 
and they look more powerful than me but God knows that these are adversaries I can beat he selects your opponents because he knows your strength the one who doesn't know your strength is you so whenever faith is stretched it is stretched because he is inviting you and that is the best way to grow your faith otherwise you, you step into things that you necessarily were not invited into and then you can't understand why you were not fully successful both have happened to me and one of the things is guys if you want to know your ranking in the spirit you have to walk with others who are better than you only then will you find out how good you are I mean I've won so many 100 meter sprints in my life when I've run alone Mean, meaning there's no competition I always win those races but put another guy with me and now I'm struggling because they always beat me any race that you run alone you will always win you only know your ranking when you are with a few others mediocrity is always exposed when passion shows up mediocrity is always exposed when passion shows up so how do i know i'm mediocre when i begin to run with people who are more passionate than me but if i run with people who are not as passionate on as me i always think i'm top dog till i suddenly find that there are other dogs better than me <laughs> know your ranking in the spirit sometimes when i step into things that i i'm not sure of i'll even go and ask people around me saying hey i just spoke that out i just said that what do you think do you think uh, that was foolish because i'm i'm uh, it might be something i've never attempted before but i want to be sure any thoughts any questions i'm not trying to instill fear i'm trying to instill prudence because otherwise the spirit realm can engage a fool who is walking in presumption to drown it's not too difficult to understand guys god will invite you into things that are beyond you walk in confidence in what you know and when he puts you in situations where now it is beyond you trust that just like prashant did you will have everything that you need to say do think that it'll be present and you'll come out victorious because he wears the victor's crown but be confident of whatever you do because anything that is not done in faith is sin and faith is rooted in a person and so your confidence comes from what you know of that person your relationship with the person how you've tried that person tested that person what you know of that person the amount of his substance in you that is what you base things out of when you step beyond that that's when it's foolish it's not complicated we just think it's complicated yeah yeah and this is so common in christianity eh? where we imitate someone who says something or does something without actually having the knowledge of it i love caleb the guy knew what he was made of there was another guy called barzillai barzillai was 80 david says to barzillai hey barzillai come I'm going to be king you can come and reign with me Barzillai says I'm just an 80 year old leave me alone here my tongue will not taste your food and my eyes will not see those pleasures and so the guy stays behind and David says okay I'll take your son with me and his son's name is Kimham and he takes Kimham with him and so now along comes um, Caleb Caleb's 84 Caleb's 84 and he goes up to Moses and he says give me those hills why because in those hills are the anax and who are the anax they are about twice my height and what else do they have they got chariots with wheels that have like um iron that will cut other chariots asunder give me those hills i'll take them oh to Mo- to joshua sorry not to moses thanks idi someone is awake and so so and joshua gives them the hills of anax this man knew what he had inside him and based on that it wasn't a presumption it was a stretch at 84 
This is, this is when you can walk further and take what is yours and is waiting to be taken. Guys, uh, we'll get there. Ah, oh, shucks, we'll get there, but we have to get there. Here are some critical steps uh, to staying within bounds. First step. Discover and discern the prophetic word over the church you belong to or the house you belong to and over your life. Discover and discern the prophetic word over your house, as in the church you belong to, and over your life, or even over your family. It'll give you an idea of the grace that God has given you, the location you're supposed to operate in, and the things you're supposed to do. Camp by your own standard. Each tribe, they would arrange themselves in a shape like this. There would be three tribes here, three tribes here, three tribes here, three tribes here. Each would have a, a, a standard that they would camp by. So Judah would be uh, the one who is right up here, north, and they would always be on the forefront. They knew what they were called to. When you go into Deuteronomy 33 and Exodus 49, no, yeah, let's just assume it's somewhere there. It is. You will find that each tribe had its standard, each tribe had its trait. And so if you can discover and then discern that this is what God has said over this church that I belong to, and this is what God has said over this family that I'm raising up, this is what God has said over my life, then you're able to know that, ah, so during this time in my life, this is what's going to happen. I will be able to function here in this location, operate this way. Things will work out, guys. You know, um, last year, I, I told you this, I'm leaving Mongolia and this guy, big guy, huh? like, this is a big Mongolian guy and he looks like um, he just came riding out of the uh, hills. And he comes and uh, he gives me a white stone and a sling. And he says, I don't know why I'm giving you this white stone and, and, and this sling, but all I know is that this white stone and this sling are a prophetic action. I don't even know what prophetic action I'm, th this is supposed to convey, but here is the white stone and here is the sling. And I'm talking about an actual sling, like that he made with his own hands. The kind of sling that he go, whoosh, that sound comes when you turn it. And you let go of that stone and it'll hurt, man. I've not tried it in my house because it's too small. But I, even last night I was swinging that sling. And I've left it on my center table because I know what it means. I know what slings bring down. But ever since it was given to me, I know what has transpired in my life in terms of what I can take down and what I could not do before, I can do now. But why give this anecdote? Just so that you understand that there are things that are happening in your life, things spoken over your life, things spoken over the church you are part of, things spoken over your family, that if you could treasure, they will change you inside so that you now will not break boundaries. You'll know that, ah, this is the area allocated to me at present. And in this area, I'll function really well. This happens every day at work, in your school, in your office. It happens every day. Your principal comes and tells you, this is the area that you're supposed to operate in. You've been here for seven years. This is now what you can do. You can now copy free on the photocopy or whatever you want. Or you can eat in the staff room. Or you can play the piano whenever you want. Your boundaries expand. It's one really cool way of staying within boundaries. Camp by your standard, because everybody in this church has an idea of it. There's nobody who doesn't. Embrace it. You will know where you will be located. 
And it'll always be beyond you. Always be beyond you. Always be beyond you. You think I wasn't scared that night in Jodhpur? I woke up twice and then I went to sleep because I knew there was no need to be scared. You think Prashant wasn't fearful? His initial response was, yes, I was fearful. Any questions? Please, guys, um, sometimes things may not... If it is really not clear, ask questions. If it's kind of hazy, don't ask questions because it will become clearer later. Hazy is good. Murky is bad. And there's hardly any difference. Okay. It must be hazy, right? It's all good. The next. Your inheritance is connected to someone and some people. Your inheritance is connected to someone and some people that God has brought into your life, that God has brought into your life. It's impossible to get all that God has reserved for you till you're connected to someone and to a people group because that's the only way you can begin to receive the inheritance God has for you. If you don't have a house, <coughs> you, a, a person who has many houses doesn't get an inheritance. An orphan doesn't get an inheritance. Find your house and find your father and you will thrive in your inheritance. And my father, I'm not talking about me. I'm not talking about some pastor. I'm not talking. All I mean is connect with guys who can pour into your lives like fathers do. Just leave it at that. I'm not even talking about fathers and sons and stuff like that. Connect yourself to a people group because you have to have a house that you belong to. It's so critical. Everybody knows that in the natural, but somehow when it comes to the spiritual, we take liberties. And yet, God very clearly says in 1 Corinthians 15, first the physical, then the spiritual. What are we trying to say here? In the physical, we know that you can belong to multiple houses, and yet if you don't have a family name, you do not get an inheritance. You also know that an orphan does not have an inheritance because he does not have a father. Well then, if that is how it is in the physical, where did you think that physical institution came from, from what God had already established. And that is why it's critical that, I keep repeating the word critical too often, that your inheritance is connected to a group of people or a house and your inheritance is connected to ones who like fathers can pour into your life. And what do you mean by inheritance? Everything that God has for you here on earth will become yours when these aspects align. Challenge me on that. Question me on that. I'll give you story after story in the Bible where this is true. Story after story after story. There won't be a Paul without a Barnabas. There won't be a Timothy without a Paul. There won't be an Elisha without an Elijah. There won't be a Peter without a Jesus. There won't be a Barnabas without a Paul. There won't be an Isaac without an Abraham. There won't be a Jacob without an Isaac. It is just continuous. The Bible is full of people uh, to the extent that God says in Psalms that I put the solitary in families. One must have these two connections. They are vital for our fullness of inheritance. And once you have this, you know, aha, this Yesterday, Aaron and I were talking about our family names. He's got a funny family name, mine is funnier. But the point is this, that because of that, unless Jeevan goes and steals both our inheritances, which he's very capable of, because he has his amazing ability of going and speaking to your mom and taking your inheritance away, just warning you guys. But <laughs> if you can prevent that from happening, 
It is likely that because you have a family name, certain things will come to you. And therefore, find your house and find ones that you can connect to as fathers who can pour into your life. And if it not be in this church, find it somewhere else. You can be a part of this house and find people who pour into your lives because you will get your inheritance. You must. And what do I mean by inheritance? I know I'm repeating myself. It is what God has for you here on earth to fulfill, to complete, to enjoy. That was allocated before you were even born. But someone has to come and help you discover it. You have to do nothing. Inheritances are never worked for. They're always obtained. And they're obtained through one simple thing, relationship. That is a mind-boggling part of it. You have to do nothing to work for this. It is obtained through relationship. And that is why it is so hard to get it because we'll have to cultivate relationship. Third, if you don't know your inheritance, what happens is you start moving ancient landmarks and you cross boundaries. Because you don't know what is yours, right? So if this is tasty, you'll go and take some of that. If that's tasty, you'll go some and take some of this. And the Bible says, do not move ancient landmarks. Those fences I have allotted are meant for you, meant for you. Work in them. As you do, I'll expand your boundaries, but don't keep going into. Third, don't let your impatience, your inability to say no, especially for us Canadians, your empathy or your tendency to take up causes provoke you to cross boundaries. Let me read that again. Don't let your impatience with the process. Ah, oh, this is taking too long. They're offering me this. Ah, oh, this is taking too long. I can go take that. Ah, oh, this is taking too long. No, don't let your impatience, don't let your inability to say no, don't let your empathy, and don't let your tendency to take up causes provoke you to cross boundaries. I think of Jehoshaphat who almost lost his life because he did not know how to say no to Ahab. In 1 Kings 22, Ahab asks Jehoshaphat to join him in the battle. Jehoshaphat knew better. He was known as a godly king, but he did not know how to say no to Ahab. And so Ahab then gets him to dress up like Ahab. And so now there are people pursuing him, want to shoot arrows at him. And Jehoshaphat escapes by the seat of his pants because he agreed to go into an alliance and did not know how to say no. Another guy that I really feel bad about in Luke chapter 15 is Barnabas. Here was a man who in Acts 13, the Holy Spirit said, set aside for me, Barnabas and Saul. But his empathy for John Mark, who had left them in an earlier journey, his empathy for John Mark resulted in an argument that had Barnabas disappear from the New Testament. Never hear of him again. Let not your empathy, let not your impatience, let not your inability to say no, and let not your tendency to take up causes provoke you into crossing boundaries. Because Jehoshaphat nearly lost his life and got deceived by lying spirits that were active in Ahab's life. Any questions? Which one? Oh, do not let your empathy, your inability to say no. And this is something so many of us struggle with. Inability to say no. Your impatience. Or your tendency to take up causes. Tendency to take up causes. Tendency to take up causes. result in you crossing boundaries. Examples. Sometimes I wonder, and uh, this is just a wonder, so I could be completely wrong. Sometimes I wonder if John the Baptist had left um, Herod and his wife and their marriage alone then would he have had his head cut off? Was that something he was supposed to do or not supposed to do? Just a thought. 
I don't know. I got to know the causes I'm supposed to take up. Now, what I said about John the Baptist is just supposition. I could be completely wrong, eh? But take up causes that you're being asked to take up. Fourthly, regardless, regardless of flattery, where people flatter you, regardless of invitation, regardless of the excitement of doing something, regardless of the pressure that a pastor may put on you, regardless of circumstances, regardless of um, leadership that may be defective, um, when you know that this is what God is at present calling you to, then don't break the boundaries of the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit has placed around you. Come nicely and say to me if I ask you to do something that you know you are very sure is not your cup of tea that, hey, Jacob, this is what I feel the Lord saying. And trust me, if it is God and I pray God that I recognize it, I won't push you. Sometimes you just have to know. And you've got, it's a very fine line between stubbornness and uh, confidence because one shifts into the other easily. But regardless of how much someone flatters you, how much someone, regardless of invitation, regardless of excitement, regardless of pressure, regardless of fame, regardless of circumstances, regardless of leadership that may be defective, don't break boundaries that the Spirit of God has presently set around you. In Jude chapter 1, verse 6 and 9, Michael the archangel knew his boundaries with Lucifer. So they are arguing about the body of Moses. And even then, Michael the archangel, the chief of angels, who has far greater power now because Lucifer has been cast out, Michael the archangel does not cross boundaries in his addressing of Lucifer. And yet, we also see in verse 9 that there were angels that left their boundaries and God put them in chains and locked them up. It was a transgression that was committed Long ago, but it was a fatal angelic transgression and many of them are locked up because of it. And if that is how God deals with angels, how does he deal with his own? Because judgment first begins in the house of God. I was invited um, three months ago to this um, meeting in New York where a very famous guy is coming. I was invited to lead worship there and... Um, sit with a guy and do some other stuff and um, uh, the guy who was inviting me uh, was a really good friend and I had to say no because I know the boundaries that I'm not supposed to cross and I know the boundaries I'm not supposed to enter into and yet think of this guys you've heard me talk about how one day there will be a time when we will set up something in New York you know that I've, I went there and spent two days there and despite all that, it doesn't matter that an invitation comes, that the flattery might come, that uh, people will pay a ticket for it. It doesn't mean squat if it is crossing boundaries that are set for you by God or crossing into boundaries that you know which is Greek for something is wrong with the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry, that was... Just a Hindi phrase. <laughs> Fifthly, the fourth point is it doesn't, it doesn't matter that uh, people may flatter you, people may invite you. Uh, know that if this is the realm I'm supposed to at present stay in, then I'll stay within it because in this realm I'm confident. Until... Uh, Till it's an invitation that I know is from God. And you usually know it is from God because he speaks before anyone else speaks about it. Or he's already started stirring it up inside. He hasn't said anything. But when someone says it, you know that something about this is... Clicking. Yeah, clicking. You haven't heard it before. No one said it to you before. But when it is being told, you know that... Hmm. So for me, when I'm talking to people over the last 10 days about something set up in the Amazon, something set up in Africa, and then she pulls out this song and says it, I'm thrilled that she's leading worship today because I wouldn't have ever attempted that song. So in the Amazon rainforest and the African plains, if believers can, for me that is like confirming something that I've been holding in my heart for a while. Has God spoken directly to me? No. But has it been stirring? Absolutely yes. So a song like that does wonders for me.
Some of us are going through really difficult situations right now. Really difficult situations. But the thing in difficult situations is to quickly latch on to old rhythms of God. And your difficult situations will fade away. Just like that song says. Guys, I'm telling you, in really difficult situations, find yourself in the eye of the storm. Head for the eye of the storm, because that's where there is no storm. Head for the center of that storm. Stand there and recover the face of God. And you do that, and that song goes into effect. Turn your face upon Jesus. Look full at his wonderful face. And the things of the earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I guarantee you, I, I guarantee you this. External factors are supposed to rob us of God. What if in the external pressures that are on you, they chase you to God's face again? Can you imagine what happens to the storm? I got to close. So, yeah, an invitation to ministry or a God project or opportunity is not a divine commission. You must know your Macedonian call. And remember, whenever you're given a mandate, the devil will try to tempt you to short-circuit it. He did that with Jesus. Whenever you're given a mandate by God, the devil will try to short-circuit it. Stop me if I told you this story. Have I? Okay. Um, I went and prophesied on someone in a certain country and the guy gave me some money. Had I told you the story? No, this happened... Uh, yeah, happened six months ago. Prophesied on this guy and felt that the guy was not a straight guy. He was a little crooked. But he gave me some money. And uh, insisted that I take it as a gift. I, he's a very wealthy person. So I took the money. Went back to that city six months ago and uh, the guy called again and said, uh, um, uh, you're in town, could you come and pray? And I'm asking God, should I go or should I not go? And uh, God is not answering. And then the guy is giving me the choice. You can come home and pray or I can come to you. And I'm asking God, should I go to his house or should I stay? And God's not answering. And inside me, uh, I also know that if I go and pray for him, he's going to give me money. And I'm asking God and he's not answering. So I ask these friends of mine to drive me to this guy's house. And I pray for him. And he's still not straightened out his ways. And I know as I'm praying there that something about this is not right. I finish praying. And this time he gives me three times the money that he last gave me. And I knew he would do it. And I did my usual, no thank you, no thank you, but he gave it and I took it. And as uh, soon as I got back to Vancouver, I, for seven days, was in such horrible pain that I've never been in my life before. I'm standing in faith, I'm praying for healing, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, nothing is happening. I'm saying, God, what is happening? And then I just felt that in some strange way, I had peddled a gift. Because I, I suddenly realized that the, one of the reasons God wasn't saying anything was for this one time, he wanted to test my heart. Just like Hezekiah's heart was tested. And I failed. And I remember as <laughs> soon as I realized, and it took me seven days to realize, as <laughs> soon as I realized, <laughs> duh, uh, I took the entire money, um, sent it to someone in that country and told them, go return it to this man and tell him that, I just want to bless him and uh, use it for his ministry. And I added a little more than he gave me and sent it back. And the moment I called this guy and told him to do it, my pain ended. Break the hedge and the serpent will bite. I've learned both ways, guys. You guys have to go? Okay, you can get up and go and I'll make my usual announcement. Oh, that's what I meant. Have a safe flight. Sorry. <laughs> so when are you back, Heidi, this time? Okay. And then when are you leaving again? Is this a shopping trip to Germany?
Break the head and the serpent will bite. Guys, stay within boundaries. Eh? Know, your, know when God is inviting you, when it's not God. Because every time you're given a mandate, Satan will try to help you short-circuit it. And he tried this with Jesus. Bow to me and I'll give you everything that you want without you having to go to the cross. I'll give you everything. You came to make the kingdoms of the world the kingdom of God? Well, take it. Just bow to me. You have the power. Turn the stones into bread and you can have what you want. Don't do something unless? Don't respond to invitations just because someone invites you. No, it's God. Please understand that this message is important at this time because of what this church is heading towards. You'll have to trust me on that one. You'll have to trust me on that one. Lastly, God's grace keeps you and sustains you when you operate within your boundaries. But while you're operating within it, keep preparing diligently. Keep studying. Keep apprenticing. Keep practicing. Keep order. God's grace will keep you and sustain you when you operate within your present domain. But prepare for it diligently. Study. Apprentice. Practice. Submit. As you do, he'll expand things like nobody else can, guys. And by the way, don't step out of what God has asked you to do just because you think the job is done. God may say, polish this um, uh, chair, right? Uh, this, um, what do you call these things? Pew. Uh, polish this till here. And so you polish it and you polish it right till where he told you to. And then you look at it and you say, great job. And you walk off. He didn't ask you to walk off. Stick with it. If he doesn't tell you to stop, keep polishing it. Karate kid. Keep doing it. Nobody asked you to quit. So, but Father, it's shining like I can see my face in it. Well, shine it some more, son. You have no right to quit a divine mandate because it is not yours to quit. It is divine. I can't quit Acts 29 regardless of how things may happen out of the places. Still, I'm told to quit. I cannot. Elijah did. And he went to heaven a little early. Let's avoid adversaries. We have one adversary. Let's just deal with him as God shows us how to deal with him. Why, why deal with unnecessary flights, fights? Let's avoid adversaries. Let's avoid affliction. Because the spirit of affliction is one of the spirits that waits to take advantage of those that break order. Saul, King Saul broke order in offering the sacrifice in 1 Samuel 13, 8 and 9, and he took matters into his own hands in 1 Samuel 14, and he was afflicted by a distressing spirit. Saul, King Saul, broke order in offering sacrifice in 1 Samuel 13. And he took, matter into, took matters into his own hands. And in 1 Samuel 14, he's afflicted by a distressing spirit. And guys, this is for some of us. Break alliances that you know are causing a breach in the hedge. Break alliances. Cast Jonah out. Cast Jonah out. I'm done. Cast Jeevan, no, sorry, not Jeevan. Cast Jonah out. Sorry, Jeevan. The J and J just got mixed up. Yeah. <laughs> Cast Jonah out. 
break alliances. Some alliances are a breach that uh, won't be fixed till you cast Jonah out. For a time. For a time. Any questions, guys? I'm done. Any questions? Let's pray. Father,